want you to go back into your childhood and imagine or dream with me for a moment and think back to the days when you would play dress up, the days that you would uh, dream about being somebody. Uh, maybe they were, you would, uh, you would study up on them and learn about them and uh, want to become like them. Who was your superhero? Who was, who was it that you were wanting to be like? And it could be different for different people. Uh, in different scenarios for me, I had different heroes, different people I wanted to be like. I wanted to be like Bo and Luke Duke when it came to driving a car. Uh, you know, how many times can you jump over houses and buildings and streams and your car land perfectly? Never, never the, the car to be, well, generally, never the generally to be messed up. It's just always, you can outrun the bad guys and the, even the good guys, outrun the good guys because they're good guys. Anyways, it's just, this, they're always in trouble with the law, but never in trouble. It was just this beautiful life of, uh, of being able to drive cool cars and fast cars and all that kind of stuff. I obviously like Bowen Luke Duke. Number two, uh, p- playing baseball. I-, I-, I played a little bit of baseball growing up, but, you know, in, in the area of sports, it wasn't Bowen Luke Duke. It was Reggie Jackson. Now, I don't know. I'm dating myself a little bit here uh, if you don't even know who Reggie Jackson is. Um, but he had this beautiful, sl- from the left side of the plate, this beautiful swing. And I loved how his back leg would just nearly kiss the, the ground as he would crank one of those out. And you-, you could just see Reggie. He knew it was gone when he left the bat. Because he would stand there and just watch it from the home play. He might take a step or two, kind of a, a notion that, hey, I'm going to go to first. But he enjoyed the home run as much as the fans enjoyed the home run. And I just always wanted to, even though I was a right-handed batter, I wanted to bat like Reggie. And, and so uh, Reggie was kind of my hero to, to look after. Now my superhero, everyone maybe has their superhero. My superhero was Batman. Now, not the Batman of today, the Batman here, okay, the original Batman. How many of y'all know that Batman? Raise your hand. That was the guy who was the original Batman. He was the legitimate one. Pow! Punch! And you see all these cartoon uh, animations going on here. I mean, any man that can wear tights and their underwear on the outside and get by with it and be cool, that's a, that's a pretty impressive individual. I, I have to admit, though, when I was a kid, there would be an occasional time that I would have, not tights on, but I would have pants on with my underwear on the outside, and that's how I was going to be as a superhero. Uh, now, you will not ever see any Throwback Thursday photos of that. I'm sorry. Um, but having heroes, having people that you look up to, having mentors in your life in different areas of your life is always a good thing. And make sure you choose the good ones, all right? Not, not just the popular ones, not just the ones that are cool, not the hips, you know, not, because there's a lot of people that are celebrities that don't, that, that, that's in their head and they're all jacked up and we look at them as role models and it's, it's, it's just, it's not good. It's not ideal and it's not what we, what we need to be looking for um, in, in role models. But when you think about role models out there, I, I read a few years ago of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, we all think of Arnold, uh, Arnie, uh, as this, this bowed up, strong individual who uh, was Mr. Universe, who the governor of California. There's so many things you can think about. Uh, Arnold, uh, Terminator, the movie Terminator. You think about that, but there was a day when that's what he looked like. A scrawny kid, okay? Uh, fighting off pimples rather than weights. And he came into 
uh, the reality of knowing or hearing of or learning of a guy by the name of Reg Park. Now, I had never heard of Reg Park until I'd read the story of Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and read this, this part of his story. Um, but this is what he said about Reg Park. Now, listen to this. Now, and, and, and also pull apart some of the, um, some of the words, some of the passion some of the, the level of dive below the surface that he went with his mentor, with his idol or the ideal life that he wanted to live. Listen to these words. From that point on, I was utterly dominated by Reg Park. His image was my ideal. I found out everything I could about Reg Park. I bought all the magazines that published his programs. I learned how he started training and what he ate and how he lived and how he did his workouts. I became obsessed. I learned, I obsessed. He was the image of my ideal, all these phrases. He was the image on the front, uh, 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 in, the fr- in front of me from the time I started training. I pasted his pictures on the walls of my bedroom. I studied every photograph. Okay? Let's see how uh, uh, his pictures were on the bedroom of my walls. I studied every photograph of him I could get my hands on, noting the size of his chest, his arms, his thighs, his back, his abdominals. This inspired me to work even harder. When I felt my lungs burning as though they could burst, my veins bulging with blood, I loved it. I knew then that I was growing, making one more step toward becoming like Reg Park. Now that was written of a bodybuilder about a bodybuilder, about how he wanted to be like him. So again, let me come back to you. Who are your role models? Who are the people in your life that you study, that you dive deep into their life, you, you, you're obsessed with, you learn about, you study, I love it, uh, he's the image, because our role models shape us. And having healthy role models for living out our life well is critical to living our faith well. So if I have good role models in life, it will actually help even my faith to be lived out well. Assuming, of course, that those are faith followers and they're walking with God. But you can choose a great godly businessman or woman who are really good at what they do. But also, if you choose a great godly business person to be not just a great business person, but a great godly one, then you can grow your faith and see how your faith can grow. If it's an athlete, if it's another student, if it's, a, if it's somebody who just walks with God in the simplicity of life, whatever it may be, we can learn and we will become like them. See, followers of Jesus become like Jesus. Let's just, I mean, it makes, I hope that makes sense. That if I'm following someone, I am becoming like that someone. Jesus certainly had that premise. And whenever he wrote this or said this, Luke wrote it, Luke 640, he said, a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So here's the question for you. Who are you studying? Who are you leaning in on? Who are you, who are you obsessed by? Who, who are you studying their diet and how they live and how they interact? Because an incredible thing can happen in your life. 
You want to live a better life, more fulfilled life, a, a, a life more complement, a complement to, to Christ's life? Study his life. Because everyone who is fully trained will become like his teacher. Now we talked about this in the very first Sunday of, of this series of messages, the whole idea of fast, how fast are you, this whole idea of chasing and pursuing the, God, the dream or the, the vision that God has for our life or that he intended for our life from the very beginning of time. And one of those things about fast is the word transformed. It's the last letter in the, in the, in the acrostic of fast. If you think about that, that God has called me to live a revolutionized life, a, a transformed life, a different life. And if you break down the fast, that's just, that's just one. First is what F stands for. F is first. Then aggressive. Uh, am I aggressively see, seeking Christ? Uh, you know, am I passively sitting on the sidelines waiting for Christ to hit me up the, with blessings and then I'm just going to take his blessings and run with him? No. Am I aggressively pursuing him? Is he first in my life? Am I living a selfless life? Not focused on self, but am I living a life focused on him, allowing him to, be, uh, to, to, to shape my life? And then lastly, that transformed. Where is he revolutionizing? Where is he renovating? Where is he changing my life? Because to follow Jesus is to become like Jesus. Okay? And you've heard me say this once. You've heard me say this every week. You'll probably hear me say it every week. That we are, I am, you are, we are disciples to make disciples. If I am saying, hey, I'm a disciple of Christ, there ought to be almost a natural statement, the natural question that should form in your minds coming out of this series, that if you are a disciple, you call yourself a disciple, then the next question is, who are you discipling? Because it was never intended to be a one street, one, and you're the dead end of the, of the flow of content, and then it all ends with you, and as long as you get your life sanitized and cleaned up and, and right and walk with God, then everything's okay. No, 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 no. If I'm a disciple, the next question needs to be, who am I discipling? Who am I helping to become like Jesus? It's exactly the model that Paul carried out when he said a very basic and very simple statement, hey, be imitators of me in 1 Corinthians 11. 1. Be imitators of me. What does he say? As I imitate Christ. So follow my example as I follow Christ's example. So Christ is teaching me. So therefore, I, I, I'm living a different life. Hey, by the way, why don't you follow me? And that's the life that he called us to. Now, that's the, that's, the, that's the life Paul models for us. It's the life that Jesus models for us. It's the life. And you can go to 2 Timothy 2.2 and you can read that about how we're supposed to do this into multiple generations. So if your discipleship paradigm, if you're following Jesus paradigm, doesn't include your life being transformed and you helping to be a part of transforming other people's lives, then you need to recheck your discipleship paradigm at the door. Now, here's the good thing. This life that we're pursuing, that, 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 uh, that, that God intended us to live, the great thing about becoming a follower of Christ is this. The bar is really low. Okay? The bar to come, becoming a follower of Christ is really low. In fact, we talked about this last week. If you weren't here, just a quick review. You, your rap sheet may be longer than your resume. Your rap sheet may be more impressive than your resume. You are welcome to follow Christ. In fact, Christ may get more glory out of your messed up, jacked up, broken life because you have no answers to the, life's questions and that God can come into the mess 
and he can make it whole again. Again, we told the story of the life of Levi, one of the most hated individuals in that society of that day, and he was right in the middle of it, funding it, gathering resources, extorting it from the people, and taking it from the people. And what does Jesus say in the midst of that whole context? Mark chapter 2, verse 17, we read it last week. I'm here inviting the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. So he actually, the bar is quite low. Now here's the beauty, beauty, beautiful, beautiful thing about this whole following Jesus thing. Listen, the bar's low here of entering into that relationship. But the bar is up here in, in the challenge and the opportunities set before us. The bar's here when, when Jesus says, I love you just as you are. But the bar's here when he says, but I love you enough not to leave you there. He loves us no matter what, but he loves us enough not to leave us there. He wants to revolutionize our life, our paradigm, the way we think, the way we live, the way we emote, the way we relate, the way we do life, the way we value life, the way we, we value others, everything, the way we value stuff or don't value stuff. And so I want us to take our Bibles and I want us to find the, the book of Matthew. Now, if you've been following through this series, you've noticed that we have been primarily in the first part of the Gospels in Mark 3, Mark 4, Luke 5. We've been way in the beginning. And when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get the story of Jesus from four different angles. It's like looking at a car wreck story. It's like looking at a car wreck unfolding. You've got people in four different corners and they're all looking at the same accident. Bad metaphor, but you get the picture in that we've we got four different individuals looking at gaining information on, on the life of Jesus, and we get all of those. And that's what we're doing is we're just looking at each one of those. And every time, 20 different times, does he give this invitation to follow me? Come, follow me. Become like me. Look like me, act like me, smell like me, think like me, emote like me, follow me. And we get this, we get this picture. And so now we're, we're going to the book of Matthew. Isn't that beautiful? Completion of the story. Matthew was the tax collector, betrayer, hated Jew uh, who betrayed his country and lived for the material Rome. Talked about that last week. Yet, he has one of the most detailed accounts of the life of Christ. One of the most detailed accounts. You talk about taking brokenness and making it beauty. You look at the life of Levi. Taking sin sick and making him right. It's a beautiful story. And so we have this story that unfolds when Jesus is chapter 16. We're in the middle of the book of Matthew we're way past the beginning. We're now towards the end. In fact, it's really kind of, it's been said that this is like the last six months of Jesus's life on, on earth before his crucifixion anyway, before his crucifixion. And in Matthew chapter 16, I got to find it myself. Matthew 16, we, uh, 
We have the, uh, this, this story in Caesarea Philippi, and then this comes in uh, right after that. But an interesting thing happens, and if you don't have your Bibles open or you haven't turned them on or you get there and you're on your way there, Matthew 16, uh, I want to read a verse that's not going to appear on the screen. Verse 21, it says, From that time Jesus began. Okay, if you have your Bibles and you go to verse 21, you can underscore that phrase. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples. What happens is there is a change. There is a pivot. He has been in Galilee. He has healed. He has fed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. He has taught people. He has called his disciples. He's done this incredible work in the Galilee area. But now... From that time forward, he's going to begin to look to Jerusalem. He's going to turn his eyes, his focus, his gaze on Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, and you know, you know the rest of the story. He's going to go there. He's going to be betrayed there. He's going to die there. He's going to be buried there. He's going to rise from the dead there. It's going to all, everything's going to happen. Jerusalem is the pinnacle of the whole thing in the life of Christ. And now he begins to focus there. And listen, he begins to turn the heart of his followers there his disciples there. And with that said, you go down to verse 24. It says this, And Jesus told his disciples, hopefully you call yourself a disciple. If you're a disciple, then you're discipling others. That's one of the acid tests. There's others, but we'll leave it at that. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Don't blow through those. We'll come back to those in a moment. For whoever would save his life We'll lose it. If you're all about saving your life, all about for yourself, get, get ready. It's all going to be lost. It's not about you, okay? But whoever loses his life for my sake will find life. You, you really want to know what life is? Get on the Jesus paradigm and start modeling and shaping your life after that, and then you're really going to find out what life is all about. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What's your soul worth? Is Walmart worth your soul? Is your job worth your soul? I mean, I don't say it's bad. Is your family worth your soul? Are your interests worth your soul? What are you selling your soul to? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, there's so much I can't even do justice to it to talk about in that passage of Scripture. But I want to focus just on the first part. Just on the very first part, because I don't want us to miss that one. And to get caught up in all the theology of the Son of Man, the kingdom, and not, not everyone's going to die, and all that's good, and it's, it has its right place. But I want to back up here. I want to back up where it says, If anyone comes after me, then he must deny himself, he must take up his cross, and then there's that invitation again. Follow me. Again, what we say, 25 times he says it in the gospel. This is one of those times. We're looking at all 25 times that he says, follow me. But here's, there's almost as if when, when Jesus says, states this, there's almost like it's a checklist. I, don't, I hate to say that, but it, it makes sense to us in our checklist world, okay? It's a, a checklist for the chase. If I'm in the chase, 
then I should be able to look at my life and say, this is true, this is true, this is true. Not, not that I'm trying to make faith or religion a checklist. Just go with me on this. I think it will make sense in the end. So let's look at four, if you will, checklists, four checks on the checklist. And some of y'all like melancholies or the, those little uh, high organized people in the room. Yes, I need a checklist. Here's your checklist, okay? So you can check them off. Four checklists for the chase before you are in the chase. One is be hungry. Be hungry. That's a phrase that I picked up from the very first message in the series where I talked about, do you have a hunger for for pursuing God? Is that really something that you long for, that you wake up thinking about? I'm not saying it consumes every thought of your mind and soul, but it's one of those main things in your life. It's a substance of your life. It's, it's what you feast on. It's what you long for. It's what you, you, you can't get enough of, but at the same time, it satisfies you. Now, bring those two together. You can't get enough of, but yet you're, you find satisfaction. That's this beautiful tasting and hungering in God. That's why, that's why I think the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and hunger for Him and you will find something in Him that you'll not find in this world. And I, and I, I know I know a lot of y'all have been in church for a long time. And you have, uh, to be frank, you've lost your hunger. And I get it. I've been there, done that, and got a t-shirt. You can lose the hunger for God. If you remember first Sunday, I said, if you don't have any other prayer, pray this prayer. Lord, God, give me a hunger to hunger for you. Give me a hunger. Because I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not hungry for you, God. Give me a hunger that I might hunger for you. In this whole desire to, to long for him, I, I don't want you to miss what Jesus opened up with. He said this, if anyone, if, qualifier, if, anyone. Notice how it's open to everyone. If anyone would come after me. If anyone would want to get in the chase, if anyone would answer my invitation, if anyone, if anyone, listen, if just anyone. Now, he's not begging, but he's inviting. He's giving an opportunity for us to get into this chase. He says, if anyone would just, would just come after me. What does that mean? What is this whole coming after? It's in, in John chapter 6, verse 37, it says that whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There is this arms open wide. If you come to me, you're going to be accepted. You're going to be loved. I, I, don't, I don't care if your rap sheet is more full than your resume. I don't care if you did that and you're really ashamed of it. I I don't care if anyone comes after me. I'll not cast him out. But here's the key thing. It's Jesus isn't going to play second to anybody. He only has one seat. First. Um, let me tell you a story. I know you all know this story already, uh, most of you, but it's worth repeating. Jesus comes to tell a story about this rich young guy coming to him. And now, what do we know about the guy? He's rich and he's young. 
I don't know. Was he, was he a Mark Zuckerberg or something like that? Was he, was he inventing a better chariot? Or, uh, uh, you know, what was he, what was he, an inventor? Or was he born with a silver spoon? He's just a rich kid. And uh, I, I don't know. But he's a deep thinker. He, he had some deep thoughts. Let's, let's listen to the story. He said, a ruler, a young ruler, asked him, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's thinking deep. He's not a shallow thinker. So he's a big thinker here. And Jesus said, why, why do you call me good? Now, again, I could unpack a lot of this because no one's good except for God. So God is literally, Jesus is really trying to say, hey, listen, if you're calling me good, then I must be God to you. So Jesus is actually acknowledging his deity in the statement. I know the rhetoric is a little bit different than we're used to, but he said, listen, if you're calling me good, then I must be God. And so this guy leans in on that and he stays with God on this because only God is good. You, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. You know the commandments. You've, you know them. You've been to... You've been to uh, Bar Mitzvah. You, you've been to the synagogue. And this is what the, the young ruler said. All these things I've done from the time I was a youth. I was, I was a little honorary snot before then, but when I became a youth and I went through Bar Mitzvah, then I, I did all these things. I, I, I held the line. And Jesus heard this and he said, oh, there's one more thing. Just, just one more. Go take everything you got, sell it, and give it away to the poor. And then I want you to say these last words with me. And come, follow me. The invitation, come, follow me. Now, what, what was the deal? Is, is God only for poor people? Is God against money? Not at all. All right, he owns it all. He's not against it, okay? But what he is against is playing second to anything. And if anything is between me and God and me following him, what Jesus is going to say to all of us, get rid of what's in between us because there can't be anything in between us. You've got to hunger me. You've got to have a hunger and desire for me more than anything else. Do you desire me more than anything else? And what does this young guy do in all of his wisdom and all of his wealth? He says, but when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. The story ends there. We never know what happens to the rich young ruler, but I think we can write the rest of the story. He loved and he hungered and he longed for and he desired his money, his stuff, his things more than he hungered and desired God. And that is the tale of too many people. Now I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Until you hunger God, until you hunger for Jesus, until your hunger for Jesus is greater than your hunger for fill in the blank. You won't change. You won't change. You can't check off number one. I hunger for God, first and foremost. And you can put any number, the list is infinite. Grades, acceptance, fashion, food, love, relationship stuff, Comfort, entertainment, fitness, revenge, travel team, golf score, whatever, fill in the blank. New boat, anything, fill in the blank. The list is infinite. What all these become? 
They become for you what they became for that one guy, the rich guy. They become idolatry. It becomes idolatry. Idols in our life that stand between us and a relationship with God. Here, here's, here's just a, an example. When I was growing up, the only way I liked my vegetables was slathered and bathed and baptized in cheese. Can I get a witness? Anybody in the house? All right. The more cheese, the more vegetables I would eat. And so you just put it all in cheese on your, on your broccoli and all that kind of stuff. And you know what I had to do? I had to learn to realize that probably it's not even real cheese. Lord knows what it is. Some of you vendors know what it is, and you don't even eat it. And so, because you sell it, and you don't use your own drug. Um, But uh, I had to train my taste buds. And now I know I'm weird, and I know I'm an old man, and old men are supposed to do stuff like this, but I actually eat my broccoli without cheese. And I like it. And it tastes good. But here's what I had to do. I had to get new taste. I had to get a new hunger. The thing is, is we like Jesus with a bunch of cheese on top. And that's the way we eat our Jesus. And I'm saying, listen, we want the unadulterated Jesus. And when we hunger for the unadulterated Jesus, check, we're on the right track. That's why I think in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's going to happen to them? They're going to be full, satisfied, content. They're going to find out what real life is. When they hunger for Jesus more than anything else. Are you hungry? Number one. Number two, always be second. Always be second. Now again, I hate making this a checklist, but listen, we just got to understand when Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, that means you're going to have to have a hunger to get out of your seat, to get on track and to get into following Jesus. So if anyone hungers or if anyone comes after me, then what are they going to need to do? They're going to need to, as it says, deny themselves, deny themselves. Here's a, here's a phrase for you to write down. The opposite of self-indulgence is self-denial. The opposite of self-denial is self-indulgence. The problem in our culture is we don't know who to indulge more. No, we do. We indulge self. And we give whatever is left over. For If God gets 10% of our, of our money, we think we are holy rollers. God wants 100% of your money. So 100% of your time, 100% of your dreams, 100% of your life. And guess what? You just give it back to him. And he gives it back to you. And he allows you to use it wherever he sees fit. That's when we're following him. A.W. Tozer said it like this. The reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. Self. Jesus, Jesus, self. Which one is going to be first? We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. Ooh. Who's giving the orders? Who's taking the orders? 
in your life. Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. And this can be in any and every area of our life. Think about the life of Jesus. Whenever you look at the life of Jesus, uh, I mean, he did things that were just so abnormal. He did that. He broke traditions. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. We talked about that. He, what did he do when he was traveling? He, he did not see racial divide. Blacks and whites and Hispanics and whatever else, or, or, or in that situation, Arabs or Samaritans or whatever. In fact, what he would do is he would break with tradition and he would cut straight through Samaria when all the other Jews would go way around Samaria. Galilee was to the north, Jerusalem was to the south, and right through the middle was Samaria. What he would do is he, everyone else would carve out around, go the long distance around. Jesus would go straight through. One time he goes straight through Samaria, finds himself there in the middle of the, uh, uh, or at the end of the day and uh, towards the end of the day and uh, he's tired he sits down by the well he sends his disciples into town to get some uh, a happy meal or something like that and uh, he, he's sitting down by the water and a lady comes up there of ill repute let you fill in the blank on that one and uh, she, she comes up there to get water some people speculate because she was getting it in the middle of the, in the heat of the day because she wasn't even accepted among the other women in the village so she had to go in off hours to get her water. So imagine this. You have a Jew who looks at a Samaritan. All other Jews look at the Samaritans. And they call them half dogs because they interbred with uh, uh, foreigners back during the exile hundreds of years ago. So they weren't full-blooded Jews. So you weren't a part of the Jewish clan anymore. You were Samaritans. You were half dogs. And so uh, now Jesus is talking to a Samaritan. That's bad enough. He went through Samaria. That's another bad. And now on that, he's talking to a woman of ill repute. Who is a Samaritan? You can't get any lower than that. But yeah, Jesus has time for those people. That's what I'm saying. You're, I don't, the entry level's easy. The follow-through requires more. His disciples come back, and they, they bring the, the Happy Meals, the food, the whatever. They, they brought back the flaffles, whatever. And, they, 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 and they're like, Jesus, the food's here. Let's t- it's time to eat. And what does Jesus say? No, thanks. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was hot, tired, hungry like everyone else, but yet he said no to himself. He said no to his own flesh. He said no to his own natural desires. He had every right and reason and, and, and of rational mind to say, you know what, little Samaritan woman, let me come back to you. My belly's hungry. I'm going to go fill my belly and then we'll come back and we'll talk. He knew that time was of the essence. This woman was more important than food. And so he sat down with her. He denied his own biological needs because there was a greater spiritual need going on. I can't tell you in the past 26 years, the number of times I've been in ministry that couples have come to me and want to do marriage counseling. And I I know a lot of y'all know this because we've talked about it before. And... uh, I, I know I know the bodies, I know the minds, I know the souls that start knitting themselves together so young and so early. And the tendency is to bring ourselves physically together before we're supposed to. And I have this little thing, and it's been true for 26 years of my ministry, that I just won't marry anybody that's living together. And I just say, hey, listen, would you, would you just separate? Just separate. And then... We can talk about this, okay? And let's just get it in the right order. 
And it's, it's, it's a hard conversation, but I tell you, every time I, I share it, it is handled with grace and not, I've never had anybody storm out of the room. I've never had anybody reject me or, 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 or my views. And I've never tried to impose my views. I'm just saying, listen, if I'm going to be a part of this, what am I trying to say? Deny yourself so that you can put Christ first, even in your relationship. And I know it's so unnatural. I know it's so biologically. But listen, is it more important that I be first and I get what I physically want and desire and what my body's longing for? Or is it that I deny myself and Christ becomes first? And there's a hundred other examples of that in our lives, whether it's food or it's career changes and promotions. I've told some people before, I really don't think that's a probably a good move for you. Not because I want to keep them here or anything like that. I don't know that's a good move for you. They make the move. They write me six months, a year later, say, I really shouldn't have done it. But it was the promotion I was looking for. Deny yourself. Okay? Doesn't mean you can't do things. Doesn't mean you can't have them. You do it in the right order and you let the Lord be the one you're following. Augustine said it like this. There are only two basic loves. Two basic loves. The love of God unto the forgetfulness of self or the love of self unto the forgetfulness of, and denial of God. You cannot love both. Denying ourselves is when we say, okay, self, shut up. Get the back of the bus. Jesus is first. Denying ourself. Number three, die early and often. Had that in there. Die early and often. What's this whole dying thing? What's this all about? And Paul talks about it in Galatians 6. He says, I boast about any, I don't boast, I never boast about anything except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's this whole death obsession that Paul had? Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ and no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. That sounds like a change of paradigm shift going on in Paul's life. The life I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. I'm living in accordance with His will for my life. Who loved me and gave Himself for me. Romans 6, 6 says, Our, 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 uh, our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slave to sin. Life is found in death. Death is defeated by life. I'm not trying to write a riddle here. But I want us to understand that there is this cosmic spiritual thing that happens whenever life is found in the death of Christ. And death is defeated by the resurrection of life. That is a spiritual reality that you need to fully know and experience in your soul. And it's why Paul said this, I die every day. I die every... It means I got to die today. 
I got to die tomorrow. What is this death thing? It means that every day I get up. It's why Jesus said over in, in Luke chapter uh, chapter 9, verse 23, he said, listen, we, we've all got to die. We've got we to carry our cross every day. Carrying our cross daily is this whole idea of allowing the work of Christ on, on the cross, setting us free from sin, to be set free from sin, to live free from sin, and to walk in that freedom every single day. That means every single day I'm going to have to get up and I'm going to say, am I going to hunger God today more than anything else? Am I going to deny myself today and put God first? And then am I going to die to my fleshly wants and desires? There's no shortcuts. We all have to go to the cross and live through the cross if we ever want to know victory in life. I hope I can say her name right. Her name is Rosie Ruiz. And um, she won the Boston Marathon in record time. 84th Boston Marathon, 1980s. Maybe you've heard the story. The fastest female time ever to run in the Boston Marathon. She was the third fastest female time ever to be recorded in any marathon. Kudos to this woman who just broke all of these records and said she's Cuban-born, lives in Florida, and just lives this kind of life. She won the Boston Marathon for eight days until it came out that she cheated. And she didn't run 26 miles. She ran a half a mile. She cut in to the Boston Marathon halfway, a half mile down the Commonwealth Avenue where the Boston Marathon is run and then ran the last little bit. There was some signs that whenever she crossed the finish line that she wasn't sweating like everybody else is sweating. That was one of the signs. Her body composition wasn't like all the other runners uh, of, her, of her class. And uh, well, there's other thing. Resting heart rate after they tested her uh, later on, she did not have the resting heart rate of a marathoner. So all of a sudden she was a marathon winner of the premier of premier marathons with record times, but yet she didn't run the marathon. A couple of Harvard students remembered seeing her jot into the race and then winning in the end and then told on her. There are no shortcuts. No shortcuts. We all live by the cross, through the cross, and we must carry the cross every day. Deny ourselves every day. Be hungry and live hungry every day. And finally, never be the leader. I know that sounds similar to second, but that basically always be second, but never be the leader. And when Jesus said, follow me, that means he is in the lead. He's in every lead of every category of your life. And we need to own that and we need to understand that. And that means even whenever we go down hard paths and difficult roads, he's still leading the way. And he says we're going to have in Matthew 24, 9, says, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Oh, please sign me up for all those, okay? You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Following Christ does not promise us peace and tranquility all the time. It does promise us life, 
true, meaningful life. I read in the USA Today a few years ago uh, an article that included a quote from Andrea King of Santa Monica, California. And she made this statement about her faith. Now listen to this. This is her paradigm of her faith. Having a religion should be like having a hometown. You have everyone, you, you know everyone and all the rules, but you don't have to stay there. But you always know where it is and you can always come back whenever you want. That is the view of, I dare say, 80% of Americans. It's just kind of a hometown. It's kind of a place that you go back to from time to time. You know the rules when you go back there, how you're supposed to be when you go to mama's house, how you're supposed to act and what you're supposed to do and can't do. But hey, when you're out on your own, you do what you want. That's how we do every Sunday morning many times. We come to God's place and we act like God's people. But following Jesus is an all the time forever a part of our life. And I can tell you what you're going to do when you do that. You will be the person in your world that will have more light, more truth, more reality. Life will be clearer than ever before. John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Jesus said that. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Life becomes clearer when I follow him. Then it become easier. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it becomes clearer. Depth perception, clarity of color, clarity of life. It reminded me when I read that verse in John of, a, of, of something that I heard back when I was in college. It inspired me then, and I've heard it at different junctures along the way, and I've heard different people talk about the origin of this statement, of this poem, if you will, that I want to close with. And when, when, when I hear it, I hear it's, it's, it's a different story every time. So I'm not going to begin to tell you the origin of this. But whoever wrote it, wrote it with my heart. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. Say it with me. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, praises, or popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide reliable. My mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. 
I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder in the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. Say it with me. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, work until, all, until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. The die has been cast. My color is clear. Say it with me one more time. I am a disciple. I hope you have a definitive statement. But more than a statement, I hope your life is a definitive statement that you are following Christ. Let's pray together. Maybe it's, God, give me a hunger to hunger for you. God, I'm ready to I'm ready to get out of the seat. I'm ready to be serious about following you. I'm ready. Let us do it. What does that mean? Deny yourself. Take up your cross every single day. Die every single day to the sin that strangles your life, sets you back. Live in the power and the presence of the cross. then you're set free to follow him and to walk in the light and to live in the light and the clarity thereof. If you're here today and you say, Mike, I've never made a public statement that I'm ready to follow Jesus and today I want to make that statement. Somebody in the last gathering, and you just kind of be prayerful right now for those around you. So let me just tell you this and I'm going to pray. Somebody in our last gathering made a beeline for me at the end of the service and said, I need Jesus. His name's Robert. Robert is a part of the fellowship of the unashamed today. If you're here today, you say, Mike, I'm like Robert. I need to give my life to Jesus. Just lift up your hand and put it down. And you're just declaring thank you Thank you. You're just saying, I need to. I'm tired of playing games. Tired of being religious. Father God, you know the hearts of everyone in this room. Thank you. God, I can't say thank you enough for accepting me as I am but loving me enough not to leave me there, but calling me to a deeper walk with you, a life of selfless living. Lord, I pray for those who raised their hand just now, that that move of just raising their hand isn't a magical move, but Lord, it's a, it's a declaration of their heart and that Lord, today they're saying and they're ready to step forward and they're ready to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, undeniable from this point forward. And I'm ready to declare that in whatever means and mode possible. Father, we pray for them.
We pray for everyone else in this room that, Lord, if it's a hunger that we need, you'd give us a hunger. Sweep over us with a holy discontentment for life until we hunger and hunger only for you. Oh, we thank you. And may we declare, as this song declares, you are exalted over all. In our lives, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us? And just let this be the declaration of your heart in this time.